Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Noah. And welcome back to another chat episode of Talking Lion. In this episode, we're going to be talking to our friend and drummer, Jacob Herlick. But first, a few reminders. We think anybody listening to the show is awesome, and we'd love to hear from you. So now we have a number that you can text if you want to reach us. Text us at 914-226-4772. We'll text you back. Don't believe us? Give it a try. Lastly, our face is on a shirt. We have shirts now for Talking Lion with our faces on them. If you want to wear us on your shirt, buy a shirt. It helps support the show and it shows your friends that you like Sleeping Lion and Talking Lion. You can find these shirts on our website, sleepinglionmusic.com slash store. Likewise, as always, any support on Patreon would mean a lot. That's how we keep the show going. And it's a great way for you guys to become involved in the show. Pro tip, Patreon supporters of the honorary lion tier or higher will get a free shirt. So check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash talking lion to get involved in the show and unlock exclusive membership rewards. Now let's get on with the show. So we recorded this episode with Jacob Herlick. What to say about Jacob Herlick? What to say about Jacob Herlick? Well, we can start by talking about how we know him. I grew up with him. We were childhood friends in Westchester, New York. But we really met at Berkeley. He was in a bunch of bands and we kept intersecting while we were at school. Yeah, he uh, most famously drummed on my Sound Alike of Africa by Toto. But how do we talk about Jacob Herlick? Maybe his drum merits? He's drummed for quite a number of people. Hit us with a list. Oh boy, he's drummed for Salem Elise, Amelia Ali, Sophia Grappari, Austin, London Mars, Jake Bennett, Rosie Baker, Julia Gartha, and us. Likewise, any drums that you hear on our record, Different Plans, that's Jacob. That's Jacob. Jacob, Jacob does, does drums. drums. But wait, Noah, there's more. There's more? He introduced us to Ripe, who has been on the show. He is cameoed in a Lawrence music video. He is sponsored by Big Fat Snare. And most importantly, he makes the best chicken sandwich <laughs> I have ever had. Jacob, Jacob does, does buns. buns. Honestly, it's like the best chicken sandwich I've ever had. Since quarantine started, he's been making these awesome live from home videos, including one for us that will hopefully be coming out in the near future. And all in all, he's been one of the most hardworking and driven people we've been lucky enough to know. So without further ado, this is Talking Live. Jacob. Hey, everyone. It is it is Jacob McHarelick. Jacob McHarelick. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Esquire. That's that's not your name, is it? it? It could be. It's just Jacob Herlick, and we were family friends. Oh boy, were we? Oh boy, I have a distinct memory. I don't I don't remember child Jacob very well because I was I think friendlier with your brother because we were closer in age, I suppose. Yeah, he's he's four years older than me. So, oh, I guess I'm like exactly the same age difference between you both. Yeah. So, but yeah. I mean, he's an, but, he's an obvious choice for, you know, a sure. friend. But I remember your dad balancing a chair on his chin. Yeah, that's a that's an activity he does. Was it a, like a Hanukkah party? It was a Hanukkah party. And in fact, I believe he sang that he was going to do it. Like like it was part of a song. Wow. I don't remember I don't remember the exact lyrics that led up to it, but he <laughs> sang that he was going to balance a chair on his chin and then he did it. There was a rap that he did, that he had that I like produced when it was like, you know, high school and I was just getting into production and I was like I was like, "Dad, like this is like a rap. Like we should put this together." And of course, it's like he made it in like the 90s and it's awful and I couldn't tell you any of the lyrics, but I remember just being so proud of like my first beat. And that's when I knew, <laughs> that's when I knew producing was not for me. That, 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 there we go. You know, 
like like we said, play to your strengths. Exactly. And also waste time on your weaknesses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've always said that. You've heard me say that. I've heard you say that yeah, before. You know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, where, where do we even start in our storied history, Jacob? You know, well, uh, I mean, I think your I think your parents are interesting. Your your dad, professional Simon Says. Yeah, a professional Simon Says caller. That's how does that's. I've always found that to be fascinating because it's so, like so cool. Uh, this whole thing could honestly just be about him. It's it's always like a conversation starter because it's like a lot of people, first off, if they even bring up their parents, like it's, I always find it very interesting. But then to be like, oh, and my dad plays a children's game as a job. So, <laughs> as a job. So back in New York in the Catskills up in the mountains, uh, when he was, you know, 18, he every summer would work at this place called the Vegetarian Hotel, which is where a lot of elderly people would go and, you know, spend the summer. And so when you're older, there's not a lot to do. But a game like Simon Says, very simple. You follow along to instructions. You're not doing anything crazy. So he just kind of learned there and then eventually brought into like children's games and uh, and like children's birthday parties and was doing it just, you know, to make money and it really worked using like magic and stuff. And he eventually uh, went to a basketball game with my mom who worked at Kraft Foods. So they were like box seats. They got tickets somehow. And the halftime show was just awful. It was some guy who was you know shooting hoops and couldn't even make it in. And it was like, what a waste of time. So he reached out to the game operations at Madison Square Garden and was like, I want to do Simon Says for this. And basically you bring 25 guys, 25 girls, or, you know, adults versus kids, and they face off in a Simon Says Challenge, eliminating people one by one until you get the top two people of each team, and then they have a dance-off in the middle, and now he's, you know, the nation's leading Simon Says caller, and he does <laughs> halftime shows for NBA and NCAA, and, I mean, November through March, he's extremely busy with that. That's... that's absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think what is interesting is that... For better or worse, you and I are somewhat similar. Yeah. Like we are we are very loud, fast talking, kind of like like eccentric people. And I feel like a lot of that comes from A, just like New York Jews. Yeah. And B having parents. Like my mom is an improv te- like theater yeah, teacher. Yeah, exactly. And my, like who works with children. And my dad is a motivational speaker. So like the blend of those two is this egregious human being. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> It is really interesting just like how much and I think like especially like growing up in Temple when, you know, my parents were known at the specific temple and, you know, all the people would be like, you're like exactly like your parents. And of course, at, you know, the age of 14, I was like, I'm nothing like my parents, you know, but now I'm just like, I am exactly my parents. Well, now I'm almost like like grateful, you know. I'm like, oh, you you see that similarity? Cool. So it's like it's their fault. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> right. And any <laughs> like, anything I do wrong, that's my parents. Anything I do right, I take I take no responsibility yeah. for being like this all the time. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. So we did, you know, Hanukkah parties and stuff, and we were just in that same cu- group. Do you remember? Do you remember you and I interacting before school? I remember your name, but I don't remember. I feel like there was a Yom Kippur breakfast that you might have been at or that your name was mentioned. That's both are, are possible. Honestly, you know, Westchester Judaism is such a blur to me because there was but, there was so much of it. 
that's that's uh that's that's uh, actually the slogan and motto for Westchester Judaism. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there is what, so much of it. <laughs> Westchester Judaism, you know, c- come for Shabbat, stay for the blur, you know, literally. Um, but I do remember when come for Shabbat, stay for three generations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I remember calling Berkeley about something, and you were right next to whoever I happened to call, and we spoke on the phone for the first time. Do you remember this? I was like 17 and someone was working in the booth and you were also like taking calls and answering questions. It might have been about five weeks. Oh, Berkeley was asking for money. We were asking for money. (laughs) I was working. I was working in the call center. Very unlike Berkeley to ask for more money, but they did. Um, (laughs) I mean, every college does it. Yeah, no, we're all they're they're trying their best. (laughs) They're, They're all reaching out. They're all reaching out. But you happen to be whoever next to whoever I was calling. And then we just spoke about just everything right then and there. I, I, I actually, I really, I really do remember that. Well, and then uh, you were in that band Walking's like running. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we played on your, we played on your porch one summer. I do remember that. Um, and well, we went on tour in big air quotes. Well, actually yeah. <laughs> what, what is, what is really funny is that like that quote unquote tour produced what is has become one of the most iconic centers of a story. Oh yeah, uh, of, a, of a of a relationship story because the show we played at the Middle East was the intersection of three girlfriends. That's right. Accidentally, mm-hmm. an ex had showed up to the show. Another ex had shown up to the show, having returned from Paris, mm-hmm. and I was going out with somebody at the time who I was supposed to be back at her place after the show. I do. I do remember this. It was complicated, but it's a hilarious story. And there were now. like those they were those were the three people in the audience at that show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was them, yeah. my mom, and uh George Woods showed up, the songwriting <laughs> teacher. Um Oh yeah. <laughs> but it but it started in New York and it was kind of, so walking is like running started at the five week program. Oh, there right, before. We, we played the terrible show in Brooklyn where two people showed up and one of them was our publicist. Yes. At at, at <laughs> oh, much more. Yeah. Yeah, it was and like much more. Is, oh man, more like less, lesser. Yeah, definitely way less. Just l- lower your expectation. More lower like your... such less. <laughs> yeah, and then that was the summer before Jeremy and I then went to Berkeley, and Walking is like running died soon after, just because. And, you, and and then you were then you were in Arthur the Pleasure. Oh boy! No, then you were also in Soul Candy. No, Ar- that was Ar- after Arthur the Pleasure. Yeah, no, no one's got the timeline. Arthur the Pleasure. I, got the I was there. I was there intermittently for all of it. <laughs> I remember that. But that well, well, that started producing like Rick Rubin from The Wings, letting other people do most of the work. Well, because I met Arthur at the five week program, and then Adam and I became friends. Uh, just based off of our friend group, we just hung out. We didn't really like going to the docks and drinking, so we just kind of hung out. And I introduced him to Arthur. We had a little jam, and we were like. What if we put together like a twenty-piece funk band and just and <laughs> yeah? Just, what if what could, Ca- casually? What could go wrong? You know. Well, well, what's what's interesting about like that that sort of time, n- other than it being sort of our introduction to Adam, who's like Noah's really close friend, and to Alex Burrell, who we mentioned on the podcast because mm-hmm. he's like Sofia Grappari's close collaborator. Yeah. It also, I remember like my friend, uh, meeting my friend, uh, Laura, who was sort of like the interim manager of this 15 piece project. And there was a lot of drama and all this, like whatever. I remember Laura saying something about you that I'll never forget, which is, she's like, Jacob is a okay drummer, (laughs) but really good at getting shit together. 
And I remember you like that sort of inspiring conversation that you and I had, which was essentially like, hey, on the one hand, I think you could probably get better at drumming. But on the other hand, there there are ways of being a valuable drummer that don't mean you being the craziest drummer at Berkeley. Yeah. And that was I knew that going into Berkeley because I had seen it. I went to five week for piano because I was a classically trained pianist like, you know, Drumming was just something I did for fun. And at five week, I realized how much I hated piano <laughs> and joined Walking's Like Running, was the drummer. And I I was going to go to Berkeley for piano, but texted both Jeremy Saunders and Zach Tobes and was like, if I got in, I don't think I'd be happy going for piano. So I called two weeks before my audition and was like, may I switch to drums? And they were like, yeah, we don't care. And I told my parents and they flipped out because, <laughs> because piano... Even if you're okay, sounds beautiful, you know, coming throughout the house. Like, right. To be able to brag that your kid's like a pianist, like, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a fun party trick. But even if I was the best drummer you've ever heard, drums coming from the basement sucks. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not fun. So that's when I reached out to the Ripe guys and was like, hey, can I use one of your songs? Because the Talk to the Moon video had just come out as a Berkeley video. And so I reached out to Samson, the drummer, and was like, hey, can you send me a drumless track so I can audition with this? And then two weeks later, went to the audition, used Ripe's track, and you know, luckily got in two months later. Um, Which you you introduced us to to Ripe, you know, um, like like both like as an artist, like you first showed us their music, but also I think you tweeted at both of us. Yeah, while we were like on a on a mega bus, and by the time we got off the mega bus, Robbie, like the singer of Ripe, who we've had on on the show, you know, Ro- Robbie. You know, we all get sushi together and and talk about, you know, he was one of the first people to like kind of give us advice in the music space, you know? Yeah, well, I, so Ripe I just discovered through the Berkeley video and then I loved like that type of music. It was just funk, pop, easy to dance to. I loved horns. Like that was the whole idea behind Arthur the Pleasure was like trying to make that a Ripe sort of group, um, which eventually led to Soul Candy and all that. But I remember going into True Value and seeing Josh, the trumpet player. And I'd, mm. I had seen their YouTube videos. I had seen all this, but I'd never met them. And I was just like, hey, are you uh, Josh from Ripe? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm Jacob, you know, huge fan. And of course, Josh, at this point, especially in 2017, 2016, you know, Ripe is doing fine, but like isn't expecting to just get noticed. And then I remember right. I, right. I ran into Robbie at CVS. And I was like a literally like a kid in a candy store and just stood there like shocked. And he looked and I think he had recognized me from like Facebook, but he wasn't processing it as quickly as I was. So I just like didn't know what to say. And I was just like, hey, I love your music. And it was it was just so uncomfortable. But now like got Arthur the Pleasure got to open for him at like a house show. And there was just a lot of very full circle things that came from. Just being like, hey, I love your music. And now I... Well, and that was the thing is like, you, I feel like you, uh, I really admired the way that you you put yourself like out there. Like by the time, you know, by the time you were in school and by the time, you know, y- you were kind of in this, in this space, you were talking to the people who inspired you. And like, like, I feel like, like one of the Berkeley takeaways that either kids do or don't is like, you can say hello to whoever you want, you know, yeah. it's on them to say, you know, hey, hey back. But Robbie's just such a nice, nice guy. And we did spend a good chunk of the episode that he was on here talking about. Oh, you, yeah. So. I mean, that was so awesome to have that come like full circle. And after after a show, he like 
left his credit card and was like, hey, you know, if you could bring this, like, let's get lunch. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And my dad loves their music. So it's just been like very nice to just have them involved. Now, how, how do you know L- Lawrence? Because you're in a Lawrence video. I am like a, in a Lawrence music video. Lawrence. So this was the same way that I kind of met Ripe. Just like they were posting YouTube videos and getting thousands of views, but nothing like crazy. And I just friended them on Facebook and was like, hey, <laughs> you're doing, you know, a show in White Plains where I grew up. I would love to like meet you. And they were super nice and super chill. And we just, you know, became friends over it. And then Gracie posted that they were doing a music video and they needed people. And it was a 5 a.m. shoot in Long Island. And I was like, you know what? Me and my friends love Lawrence. Let's do it. And we went, did the music video. And it was awesome to like just be involved with these people that are doing so well and are such wonderful people. Well, and I think that like, especially in the last like year and a half, they've had everything that they've deserved thrown at them. You know, like now, you know, now they've got the beautiful mind behind them and they've got oh, John Bellion's yeah. support. Like it's been, it's been so cool to sort of see them and they're just putting out such great stuff, you know? I, I think both groups especially. And I think it kind of, I took that mindset from my parents where, you know, my dad wasn't on track to become, you know, an NBA, NCAA halftime show. Probably never even thought of it, but just reached out. And the worst thing they, they can do is say no or not respond. That's just kind of like I would rather reach out and potentially have the opportunity or get have my name somewhat in their database rather than, you know, never do it at all. Well, that's that's such a simple yet out there philosophy. Mm -hmm. You got to ask for what you want. Yeah. (laughs) And it's crazy that we we spend all this time like talking and going around and, you know, like trying to do like come up with these complicated solutions to simple problems and and the hardest thing for us is to actually express what we want or yeah. or to or to reach out and say oh hey like i don't care if you say no but i would feel bad if i didn't ask yeah. you know and, and like that's how just kind of like my like how i thought of berkeley was there's so many talented kids that just had no idea how to book a practice room and right. how to like you know, Honestly, we did not. I mean, we were, we're a duo because we we genuinely could not. We we, we I, and, and in no universe was I going to be waking up at eight in the morning to do yeah. literally anything. And yeah, it, like we 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 had, there were there were more members of Sleeping Lion that eventually it it like by Occam's razor came down to Noah and I because we couldn't book practice rooms out. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the like the Arthur the Pleasure thing was like we all like it was such a big group, but we all just like we had a Facebook group that. We were like, rehearsals are going to be this and that. And Mark Sales, the saxophone player, would wake up every morning and book it for the next one and would post immediately. And we'd know what room, what time, like who needed to be there. And so although that didn't end up being the end game, you learn so much from doing it. And that's where I met some of my best friends and some people that I would eventually work with, you know, 10 times over. And I think, it, you know, Berkeley is all about making mistakes because it's such a safe place to do it. And although it's a small school, like, nothing not super serious will like end your career. Like it's okay to, you know, fuck up here and there. And that's the thing is like learning where it's, it's safe to, to, to learn the lessons the hard way. Mm -hmm. But I I think that was the thing that really impressed me about you when you moved out here. And you know why, like while we were considering other drummers and looking into other drummers, I don't think we ever really pulled the trigger because you would be like, when I'm out there, I'm your drummer. When I'm out there, I'm your (laughs) drummer. And, and we're like, I, I guess we got to hear him out, yeah. you know? And then, all, you know, all of a sudden, like, you're, you're a hot commodity. Like, you are, 
like like we have to book you in advance because you got like you know could, could you, you imagine have, me like coming out here and me being like I was supposed to bring my own drums like this is just the way it is <laughs> my, my my Instagram name is just like a cover up I actually don't play drums like just keep right. this whole thing going no but like you became everybody's drummer like you were playing for Kaylee and Sophia Grappari and uh, and Salem who by the way is having the craziest God it it is amazing to watch. Just to see it's, every day. And, and like I was going to congratulate her on like her first million because it was creeping up there. And then by the time she texted back responding, it was at three million. And I was like, well, like I feel like this is less less cool. Because I know I, I congratulated them on US viral 50. And then by the time I sent the text, it was global viral. And I'm like, I'm you, you know, you know how I feel. <laughs> like, I'm it, not going to. It's 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 four point. It's four point eight million currently. I think by the time this episode comes out. It'll probably be in the 10 millions. Yeah. She has a million monthly listeners as of today. today. And five days ago, she was at, I think, 100,000 or 200,000 or well, something it, like Well, it really inspired me to like watch old videos. And so it, the Salem gig happened purely because Caroline Carlson was her manager for a point. And Caroline had just moved out to LA and they were looking to put a band behind Salem. And Amelia Lee was like one of the first kind of pop artists to come out of Berkeley, like in our grades where it was like an artist and a backing band and full live set arrangements which right. i hadn't seen mm. it was a lot of bands or a lot of duos like you and just it was like amelia ali is the star and so right. they were trying to copy that somewhat with salem but didn't want to make it exactly the same band so they got spoof to come and play guitar and then i had gotten the spd and other things and basically it was just like hounding carol and being like hey like I would really love to do this. Like, this would be awesome. And it just so happened to work out where, you know, I sent in, she sent me some demos and I recorded myself playing and did like a self tape, which she didn't ask for or anything. But I was just like, how could I really show these people that I want to do it? And it was taking 10 minutes out of my day to record some with, on my iPhone, just impatient, the ending. And they love that. And it worked out really well. Well, I also, uh, I think one of the things that you add, which which we're going to be experiencing this evening when we record our live at home version of, of different plans, is that you also do these interludes. Like, I think that one of the things that, like, I really liked about seeing Salem live, because um, we opened we opened for her. You played, you, yeah. there was one show at, Pe- at Peppermint yeah. where you played both sets. You played our set and you right. played her set. Yeah. But just, like, the, the interludes that you throw between songs, I think, is really cool, and how you build into each song and and everything like that's that that was always you know it's not just coming in to play the drums it's having a like you're a creative guy and you have the capability of of being creative though i i also remember that you know when when we uh realized that the the backing track for we're fine didn't have keys oh my god went out to my van and like i like grabbed like a like a small midi keyboard to like actually track and it was like it was something you had like in the back of your car it was like it wasn't even like a 25 key and we were just like, we found the simplest keyboard patch. And I didn't like produce an Ableton at that point. I merely knew how to route tracks, you know, put in the click track and do all that. So we're in there just like, kind of just like praying that it works. And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're creative problem solving on a, on a, on but a like, we also timeline. don't have Wi-Fi, so we can't like Google. And I'm like, how do you quantize? Like, how do this? And you're like, maybe if you just press well, Q. No, and Noah was in Rome too. Yeah. So it was like, we had time zone shit that we were dealing with. Like I couldn't like get things exactly. from him. Um, you know, it was, it was one of those like one-off shows where like, it, like it was just you and I, but, I mean, it worked out um, great. Like that was such a fun show at the satellite. Well, I feel like, like playing we're fine with you is what kind of inspired the version of we're fine that, 
that now is out in the world. Like the way that the drums kind of built out these certain sections um, to make them kind of bigger than they than they were, you know. And I, and I remember the first weekend out to L.A. pretty much a year ago in September, uh, just like setting up in your living room. And we all were wearing ears and like just getting. Oh, together. yeah. That, the rehearsal for the Peppermint Show. The, yeah. for the Peppermint Show. And just like you had all these songs and a lot of them I had heard before or attempted to play. But like it was the first time just like sitting down and being like, here's five songs that we have that we love and put some drums on them and just working it out was just so fun. And I, I think a lot with pop music, like there's definitely room for live drums and a lot of people are afraid to put it in, which is what I think like Travis Barker is doing such a great job of like right. making these huge sample packs that are already done. So all you have to do is drag and drop them. And I mean, it makes it so easy to have that live element in there. Um, well, and, and what I thought was really like cool about that experience with you is it reminded me of being in band practice, like yeah. in ninth grade. Like, it I, yeah, me I, of, I used to, I used to practice. I have like coming up with the drum parts. Yeah. I, I used to practice like, yeah, like coming up with the drum parts on the fly in my friend's living room, like in this big marble living room and doing it downstairs in our mostly empty downstairs area yeah. felt like the stuff that I grew up on. Yeah. Well, and, and also you suggested, uh, you suggested for Lonely in LA, having Travis Barker's drums pan left and and your drums pan right, which which is Travis Barker approved now. Yeah, no, that was that was awesome. <laughs> that was mainly an ego thing because I just really wanted to be on the track. And I was like, Travis Barker's produced out drums obviously sound way better than mine recording a 10 by 10, you know, crap room. So I was like, what if we pan them left and right? That would be pretty crazy. <laughs> and luckily it sounded cool or else that would have just been a waste of time. But it was kind of like my way of being like, how could I still get on this track that I love? Because when I heard that track, The Lonely in LA, before we even performed it, like right when I was just driving around, I was like, this is an amazing song. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and I think in a lot of ways, the live from home video that you did with her inspired a lot of what we wound up bringing to the final version of the track, you know? Yeah. The way, you know, the way a track sort of circles around on itself. But yeah, also, yeah, what I, what I love about that is like, we don't have a ride on the Travis Barker drums, but we have, but you played your ride on yours. So the ride is only coming from the right side. But I was listening to like Beatles records mm-hmm. like the other day. And if you listen to something like Come Together, yeah, like it is 90% drums on the right side. Yeah. And then like 10% of like a drums echo on the left side. Yeah. I remember when you made fun of the Walking's Like Running uh, EP because the drums were like just all the way to the right. And it wasn't like a Beatles type thing. It was just like there were fills happening somewhere else and grooves happening on the other side. So you guys were in your minivan being like, how's that fill sound over there? And you're like, sounds great. That's so funny. and, And at that point, we had no idea like, I didn't know what stereo and mono was. Like I understood the concept, but I was like, what do you mean it was mixed in this way or recorded in this way? And I think Berkeley is what really gave me that, you know. Well, interestingly enough, I, I learned like the stereo mono stuff from doing film work mm-hmm. because, you know, when you're working on backgrounds, it has to be stereo yeah. because it has to exist around. Yeah. Whereas like if a car is passing by and you want it to sound like it's going from left to right, unless that car was stereo recorded, you have to pan it from left to right. Sure, yeah. One of my mentors said something interesting, which was anything you see on the screen that is doing something should be mono because you should be able to see where it is and, and it's coming at you. And sort of applying that to music has been really interesting. Yeah. Uh, just as far as like, oh, well, wh- when, when do we want our voices to be 
pan stereo. Right. What, what do we get out of that? Yeah. Versus versus coming at you straight on. Yeah. Well, I think it was like the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. sessions with Noah and all these other producers oh, that yeah. I met, like Brad Feeney and just right. like all these guys and just being like, I, I didn't know how to play to a click at that point. I didn't know anything about how drums should really sound because two weeks before the audition switched to drums and I'd, right. I'd been playing drums, but like at outdoor shows or like bars and restaurants where the quality does not matter. Like if you can play a little jazz swing, you're fine for a three hour set, but like to really, you know, hone in on your craft and all these sounds was so interesting. I remember working on, working on my Africa sounded like with you. And like, yeah. that was like one of the biggest challenges I've ever faced as an engineer, like trying to like mimic the sound of one of the best recording studios in the world recording one of the best session drummers in the world on like a really expensive drum kit, trying to like recreate that with you in a Berk in Berkeley studio a at six in the morning yeah. with Brad Feeney engineering. My- like it, it did it. I'm just going to come out and say it did not sound as good. Oh no. But like yeah. we tried our best we tried- and got as close as we possibly so could. There are two funny moments from that night. That was one of the first two AM to six AMs I did. And Jeremy was trying to get out of it so bad. Jeremy did not want to, and now Jeremy is working in PR and marketing and he's killing it, but he hated- oh, I didn't know that. I love that friend. Yeah, he hated playing bass. And so a <laughs> 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. session to play Africa by Toto was not his <laughs> ideal like Tuesday night. And so right. he was like posting, trying to get someone else. And I was like, Jeremy, you have to do this. We get there and then at 2 a.m. I get hit with like this wave of just exhaustion. And Jeremy- for some reason, just lights up and is having the best time. So it totally <laughs> it totally switched. And then you asked me in one take, because it fades out at the end, you were like, oh, and it, we're just going to fade it out at the end. So I thought that that meant that I should do a decrescendo. So at, oh so at the end of the song, I just start playing quieter and quieter on the Africa beat. And you're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm fading out. <laughs> and you're like, that's not how this works, Jacob. I was like, oh, you can do that in post? Very cool. Like, <laughs> very, very sweet. Like, I had no idea. I appreciate idea. the effort, though. I, I do appreciate that, like, you've been now on quite a number of our records. Like, I think, you know, it, it, it's a testament to how well you've been able to record drums remotely. Um, one of the things I noticed, especially working on We're Fine, is that you're very safe. Mm-hmm. I, like, the, 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 you would send recordings that were very functional. And I remember when we were doing We're Fine, I'm like, all of this works. Now can you go crazy. And that's where like that crazy fill comes in at the end. And like, where a lot of like the weird stuff, like I'm like, Oh cool. Like, you know, I got Jacob unchained. Yeah. Well, I think that all started because I was a normal rock drummer. Like I enjoyed doing that. And, you know, I would do fills in very unnecessary places and then started playing with artists like Salem and artists like Rosie Baker, where it is not about you even a little bit. And it was like, Bendik would always be like, you don't need to do that. And I'm like, you bring up a delightful point. Like, I don't need to do that. <laughs> like, like that, that fill right there is bringing nothing to the table. So got very comfortable literally just playing exactly what was written, getting one cool moment. And that was why I started doing like these interludes was that the band could have a moment and just right. kind of show right. off. And that was it. And then we'd go right back to playing the groove. And I realized, it was, you know, as I was playing with Salem, the first couple of gigs, I would still do some unnecessary fills and I would watch it later on my GoPro and be like, why did I do that? And the gigs mm. where I did absolutely nothing, I was so stoked about. So doing the session work, a lot of people have been like, I like to give just like the bare minimum of just like, this is what your track could sound like. So people can be like, that's perfect, do nothing else. Or they can be like, please go ape on it. 
Well, it's funny because you know one of our mutual friends from Westchester is is our friend Donald Perdomo. Yes, who is one of the craziest drummers. Oh my I, God, I would yeah. say in in Westchester, New York, if not New York. Yeah, like like you know this the the non city part of New York. Yeah, like he is a crazy drummer. Yeah, absolutely, and will will always like you know does insane crazy fills but that's his back you know yeah and i feel like i feel like when i ask for crazy i'm just like channel a little donald oh you know? yeah get, get a little get a little donald going and the thing is know? he's so much older than me that i remember being 16 or 17 and we went to yonkers to just hang out i remember for it was a release show or something or it was just us hanging out and i was just amazed by his fills and right. you know most of them were just like 30 second notes and like just very creative things that like I eventually learned how to do, but just like looking at that, I was like, oh my God, like this is the best drummer in the world. And I mean, that's how, that's how I felt growing up too. Yeah. We went to his studio for the patient creature EP release. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And you know, he, he was playing along and stuff and just like where he manages to find places to accent. Oh yeah. Like is, it was just always so cool. I, I feel like it was a good point of reference. Oh yeah. Because, because then it lets you contextualize drummers like Matthew Chenery. Yeah. Who you know play, plays with with for those listening? He plays with Lux, and if you check him out on Instagram, is like one of the also a crazy drummer, but in this other space, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a little bit cleaner, you know. Yeah, I mean, and he was the, we had a songwriting class together, and he is just the nicest dude, great songwriter, so nice. but also just an amazing drummer. And that's what Berkeley was like, just seeing all these people that were amazing musicians, but then you find out that they also can do this or that, and meeting drummers out here. I realized that everyone has like a little niche and like mm-hmm. one drummer loves wine, you know, and that's his thing. <laughs> he is a, like loves vineyards, like will go out of his way to see wine. And I was always like, oh, so you're not just drumming. Like, that's interesting. And another guy loves investment banking. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> and so it's like everyone has one weird thing that they love doing. What's your weird thing then? Oh my God. Is it professional Simon says? It might be professional Simon says. I might have to get, I feel like, um, I would rather be like 30 and answer that. So I've been working on it for like my whole yeah, life. Yeah, that's fair. That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's fair. Because I would say tennis, um, but that's pretty normal and Westchester. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that definitely tracks. But uh, but I do think like as far as your, your niche as a drummer, you've been really good on the development side. Like I think you've been really good as like, Artist first drummer. Yeah, and and is and not to downplay your role as a music director. Like, like you've, music, you've really stepped into the and stepped into the shoes of a music well, director. Well, that's what that's what I'm sort of playing at. Like you, you take people who don't have drummers and don't have their live shit together, and you get that sorted. Yeah, in like a really you know in a really good way. I think. Well, yeah, I think a lot of that comes from my dad, who at my temple growing up, we didn't have lights at on the stage, so all these like Israeli army guys would come in and do speeches or performances. And they would just be in complete darkness. And so my dad oh. went went out of his way, bought two lights to bring. They were basically spotlights and would set them up at every show, regardless of if he was involved or not. And it was just kind of like he wanted to go so far out of his way to make something better. And I see all these artists who are capable of doing such amazing things. And I just, for me, it like isn't that much effort to bring an in-ear rig or to get the stems and put them into a session and just to do something that they maybe don't know how to do or don't know how to do yet and just be like, this is what I can provide for you. I just love doing. And yeah, the musical director thing happened a lot because of Salem and artists before then and just artists not really knowing what they wanted out of like a set and just being like, 
yeah, I want to play the songs. And I'm like, yeah, but people also want a little more than the songs. Like, how could we really spice this up and really make something cool? I've been impressed with your taste and even all the sort of live from home stuff, you know, like how much care and effort you put into them to make those to make those work. I have a I have a, a final question for you. I'm, it's a very important one. I'm ready. Uh, would you say that the show we played at the Middle East together? I was hoping you would bring this story? up. Yes, absolutely. Is this it was was this your was this your spider bite? Well, was this your was this your parents dying in the alley? Oh my! I I would say my parents dying in the alley was a session with Laura Wilson that Noah you might have been at. Maybe uh, it was in Studio Three, and we were recording for Arthur the Pleasure, and we were doing. It was like 98 BPM and the click comes in in quarter notes and I cannot play to it. And there's all these. Oh, I, I wasn't there, but I heard about it. Yeah, which is awful. But I hate that you heard about it. That's horrible to hear. <laughs> That's almost worse. Yeah. Like, I feel like if you were there, no, at least you'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. It's like, no, it's legend. No, it's, it's legend. And couldn't play to a click. It was just all these great MP&E you know, students. And they were like, are you going to tune your toms? And I was like, what do you mean tune my toms? Like... <laughs> They're, they're drums. They're, they're, <laughs> and they're like, they sound like shit. And to hear that, and of course, Jeremy was just sitting there and as a bassist had to do absolutely nothing. So it made right. it so much worse that he plugged in, was like, ready to go. And they were like yelling at me. So so that was what, you know, made me want to play to a click. And then we get to our show, which I finally convinced you to do live drums for two songs, just on Handful and Generous. And I was like, guys, trust me, this is going to be great. I mean, you were talking it up. You were talking up the concept of having you on as a drummer for years. Oh, yeah. And then talking up this specific show that it was going to be not so. Which, by the way, the, the show itself was so interesting in context. Yeah, because set that scene. It was, it was how, so we were opening for Sophia Grappari. Mm-hmm. Sophia Grappari had us on. So now, you know, at the time we didn't know her, but that was the moment we met her. Yeah. Now our collaborator and close friend. Yeah. But also that was a show, that was the first show that we met Amelia Ali at. Mm-hmm. She, like, you know, the school year was sort of starting and she had arrived. And Robbie from Ripe was also at the show. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that was the first time that my parents were meeting my girlfriend at the time. Soul, <laughs> Soul Candy was playing the first show that it had played on like a real stage. So we got to like hear this seven piece band mic'd up coming through like subwoofers and everything, which was supposed to be a Ripe 2.0. And so then, and we were performing a Ripe song. Yeah, you played Downward. We played Downward, and Robbie, who wrote it, is five feet in front of us. So there was a lot (laughs) of pressure building up just on every front. Which, for what it's worth, the Soul Candy set was great. Thank you. I thought you guys did a great job. I remember Robbie being like very, like, verklempt about about yeah. hearing his hearing a very good rendition of downward which which I love about uh, Robbie it just he's a he's a human that did not save you oh, for the next set so then you guys go on and killing it doing the set and it's about time and so we were running everything out of your SPD and we were we did a, a six channel split of the click track thinking this will be this will be fine not noticing that like the noise floor would just just out of the way and it's going to my own mixer. And so everything's great. And, you know, Handful comes in and the click is there. And then as soon as as soon as soon Noah starts playing the comping pattern that comes in halfway through, it is the most overpowering thing ever. <laughs> and it's blasting in my in-ears. So I can't hear anything but that. And so <laughs> just what is a, a short three-minute pop song 
was maybe 10 minutes of my life just <laughs> to see Rob- your own personal to, hell. Yeah. To see Robbie, the girlfriend I was trying to impress all these people. And <laughs> Nate, you were dancing, trying to keep me in time because you still had the click. But it was like, couldn't really watch that and also be the loudest. Yeah, like, but like, behind, behind me, I'm trying to like count off with like, yeah. my, you know, like, yeah, so, behind my back, like doing a dance. And it's like, know? of course, I'm the loudest thing in the room because the Middle East is not big at all. It's not like I'm mixed in properly. It's like these tracks and then drums. And right. then it ended. And I was just like, all right, well, I'm definitely not going to sit through the second song that we were planning on doing. Well, but all I saw was you like getting up to go. I'm like, where do you think you're going? Like, where do you think you are? Yeah. And I remember just being like so destroyed. And I was like, I need a fail safe for the future about like click tracks. And I mean, it would, I would say it's definitely. Did you play generous with us? Too? No. Yeah. No, oh, you did. I, I bounced. You bounced. And I didn't even, wow. g- I didn't give you back the snare or the ride. I was so embarrassed. Oh, right. That was the thing I was the most upset about, yeah. I think, was that it wasn't that you were off time in a handful and it wasn't that uh, you didn't play Generous with us. It was that, that I didn't have I didn't have the crash. So the, uh, crash the end of stare. Generous. So the ending of Generous was just me sort of like dinking around on the SPD. Yeah. And the thing is, I had gotten a personal mix from the drum like mix. So the the huge like six foot speaker next to me wasn't playing anything because I took a mix to go into my in-ears. So I couldn't even like rely on anything for that set. So that's when I knew. So I repeat my question. Was that your origin story? I would say yes. Was that was that when you were like, all right, I'm gonna live drum and I'm gonna I'm gonna live drum well. I was like, this is definitely a wake-up call. But the thing is the soul candy set had also been to click, and that was totally fine. So I was like, it might just be made. You're feeling good. Yeah, I mean, our SPD's click system is a little janky yeah. to, in your defense. Um, like, we had never tested it outside of the two of us. And even with the two of us, it's touch and go at best. We just know our tracks really well. But again, not in your defense. The the <laughs> thing I was the most upset about is uh, is that you that you didn't give me back the crash ride and snare. Yeah, so I was I like, drumless. I like walked to the corner, I remember, and just, just sat there for a little bit and then came as like the finish of Generous was going on and the guitarist of Ripe, John was like, so what happened? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, the click, the click disappeared. And he was like, for sure. And of course, Ripe, you know, shits on playing the click and doesn't want to use track. So there was no sympathy at all there. It was just like, nope. <laughs> well, I still look at that fondly because I, I, I see that as as the beginning of a, of a, of a beautiful, that's Caterpillar Jacob, you know, uh, yeah. you're, you're, a bu- you're a butterfly now. And, the, and then paying, playing the Peppermint Club and it going super well and just being like yeah. this, this kind of. That's your, rede- that's your arc. That's your redemption arc. Yeah. And just like another venue where still the drums are the loudest thing in the room, but I, I think it's very exciting playing with these artists where we want to do these full-on live productions, but none of the venues really are capable of holding them or making them sound really good. And I think that all these people like Salem and like you guys and Sophia are just going to keep climbing, climbing until, you know, it's the Greek theater where the drums will be the lowest thing in the mix and it'll be awesome to have come like full circle. Right. right. I believe and I believe in this group in the way that you do, you know, I mean, yeah. Hell, if we could play shows, I imagine Salem would be already slated for the Greek. You know, at, at this moment, at this point. Yeah, you know? it, it will be um, really interesting to see what happens with everyone. Because I like our friend group specifically. I think is capable of just amazing things, and I see no reason why everyone shouldn't be doing awesome things, writing songs for people and performing at huge venues. Like, so I think it's just a matter of. Well, when. I've, seen, I've seen it as the as the tide. You know, yeah. the tide rises every ship, and like. You know, Salem was always going to be the first domino, but yeah. I feel like it's 
you know, it's this, it's a community and I, and I'm curious to see like how, how it all kind of percolates, but you've had an interesting year too. Like I think that your, your year started (laughs) with, you know, with you, with your broken heels. There we go. You know, they were, they were, they were fractured. I don't want to, I don't want to overstate anything. Definitely. uh, It was just a bilateral calcaneus fracture. All right. I thought you were joking when you first told me you broke both your heels. One artist thought Um, that I just really didn't want to play with her. And then I sent her a picture of me in two huge casts and she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, and then, and then you come back mid-March yeah. ready to play shows. <laughs> and, and ready I, to get out there. And everyone was like, don't come back. There's no point. And I was like, listen, I just sat on my ass for two months. Like I'm getting out of New York. And I mean, luckily you guys were like, so, you know, gracious to have me play drums and stuff. And that opened up a lot more session work just to have like that opportunity to has that helped? Has that yeah. like being on our stuff? Absolutely. Has, and has just, it been? Yeah. I mean, no one's like, no one heard it and then listened to it and was like, I need this. But people like saw that I was recording or like, oh, you have a setup. And so I think just like a familiar name like Sleeping Lion has inspired people to want to book me. That's exciting. That makes me very happy. Yeah. Again, going back to the tide rising every ship. Exactly. You know? If you had to place money on it, who do you think would be the next person to blow up? So we can, oh, so we can, so we can look back on this. Can I say us just to like save, save face and also like, you know, put our, our narcissistic money where our mouth is. Yeah. Casper will be out in the world eventually. Yeah. I, yeah. And if that, if that, if we aren't the face of pop rising after that, I'm literally quitting. I, I think it might be just Bendik. Like he really surprises us and just because. <laughs> Bendik is a crate. He went to Berkeley for voice. Like he can yeah. sing. Oh, I, like if he, if he, if he wanted to, he has music where he's singing on it, but he does not show anyone, including Salem. Yeah. But he, he, he's like Max Martin, who's also famously a singer who has secretive about his singing. Like Bendit could totally pull off an artist project and, and it would absolutely slay. Oh my God. I, I'm going to put my money on Bendit. There we go. Yeah. There you go. D- your, done your, and done. Your early Bendik post was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've seen this week. Oh, yeah. I want you to know that, Jacob. <laughs> that made me, I was just, because the thing was saying, it's like. Well, no, wait, you, you got to describe it for the listeners. Okay, so like it's, what it is. So, yeah. so, so Pop Rising, which is one of Spotify's upstreaming playlists, it, it, it ha- they all have subtitles. All of the, all of the, the, that tier of playlist all have subtitles. And the one for Pop Rising is early bets. Actually, maybe they're all no, early bets. That's the, that's yeah, the, that's the designated yes, subtitle yeah, for that tier. So, so that's the early bets tier. In the picture of Salem on the cover of Pop Rising with early bets underneath it, you Photoshop <laughs> Bendik's face very poorly, might I add, yeah. over Salem's own face in black and white and replaced early bets with early Bendik. And it is the funniest well, thing did, did you, I've wasn't seen it all pop, week. Pop Bendik, early, early Bendik. Bendik. <laughs> it was just, I, I think it's so funny watching people like get recognition and Salem and Bendik both incredibly deserve it. They work so hard and I just want to, like humble them a little bit not that they need it <laughs> but just like i found all these old videos of us performing for two people you know and it's like doing full out live sets like with the works like full minute long intros where salem runs up uh, on the stage and off the stage and i just like think it's the funniest thing where it's like my parents are the only ones in the crowd and like i can't wait until salem blows up officially that i can post that and be like yeah we once played like the bowery downstairs and my parents were the only ones there. Right. That's 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 part of the fun of this whole thing. That's yeah, like yeah. half the reason we have this podcast is that, just for moments like that. Very, very much so. I mean, I think we started this so that we could just mark the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, what I love about our, our interview with Salem is that she talks about Matt at Disney and she talks about how she doesn't know how long it's going to be able to last on streaming platforms before she gets sued and gets a takedown notice, you know, yeah. and, and she's describing the song and. 
and we talk about Disney films and all that stuff. And you know, little did we know that that was going to be that the was going to be the, the you know the thing. Yeah, but, you know, but nobody nobody knows. Like if people knew, then it'd be a, a much different industry. I think what's exciting is kind of is knowing in in our heart of hearts that like our friends have it, seeing that proven correct on multiple occasions. Yeah, and you know, and continuing to you know very genuinely support the community. Like I think that like. Just being, just being people in this and being friends in this is like the most is the most important thing, and so yeah, this podcast is sort of here just to mark the time, you know. Hey, and to shine a, and to shine a light on who who these people are, you know. Yeah, I think it's uh, you guys are doing awesome stuff, and I'm just I'm stoked to be a little part of it. Well, I'm glad that you're on the, the podcast. You 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 called me like three days ago, yeah. sort of jokingly, like, when am I going to be on the podcast? And I'm just like, do you want to be? You're like, I f- oh. I felt like I'd been mentioned like in five different podcasts. And right. I was just kind of like, I want to speak my truth. Do you feel like your truth was adequately spoken, Jacob? Absolutely. I just want to do this again in 10 years and be like, what an idiot we were, you know? One coll- oh, man, what, I can't wait for that. One collective idiot. We're one collective idiot. But but that what's nice is that that means that we're all individually a third of an idiot. And that's a good ratio. Hey, I'll take that ratio any day. You know, that's a passing grade. That's a... <laughs> One third is a passing grade. No, one third an idiot means that you're sixty six percent non an idiot. Exactly, which means which you're is just exactly about what you're just I about got. Passing. Which is was exactly my like final in songwriting. Oh, uh, I slept through my final piano proficiency. So yeah, I got a ninety three on my final proficiency. All right, well, look at all you, right, Noah. You, fucking, you know, I was get prof- on your high horse. Yeah, yeah, I fucking did it. I worked really hard. That's why the only reason I say it. I worked. I, I actually put in the hours in a practice room doing scales for hours. Oh my god! So that I could do it correctly. I would just. And what did it get me? Literally nothing. Well, I was. I had piano with Jake Bennett, so we would just sit there and mess around for an hour, and then it finally got to the final. And thirty minutes before, we were like, "Should we?" And so he wore a sling. His arm was in a sling, so he could like be like, "Hey, super sorry." I, Oh my you know, god! And so you faked an injury. He faked, an injury? <laughs> he faked it. He still That's he still did great. But we did minuet and G and da 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 da. Everybody, Backstreet's back. Yes, that one. Yes, cool. that specific one. Um, cool. And I'm just playing wrong notes, like not even close <laughs> to it. And Jake is just laughing behind me. And I think I got an 80. And I was like, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's pretty good. Well, Jacob, now that your truth has been spoken. Do you have any final words for the people back home? Just wash your hands. It's, it's, it's <laughs> that's very, good. It's very simple. I I love I love washing my hands. And uh, and and we have uh, we notoriously are really terrible at ending the chat episodes. So it's your turn to come up with the outro. Whatever. What's the tagline? What's the sign off? Uh oh God. Call your mom. We'd like to thank Alan C. for supporting Talking Lion on Patreon and Isotope.